Blog Talk Radio. here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a certified reconnective healing practitioner, sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. 
Our chat room is open, so please feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so, you know, if you're talking about something and it fits in with the conversation, we'll try to bring it up on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, call us directly by dialing 347 202 That way you can listen via phone, or please be sure to use your Bluetooth if you are driving about. Our sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. With Audible.com, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want, and you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. We have such a great show today. I'm so excited. My guest is Mark Beckoff, a professor emeritus of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Colorado in Boulder and a former Guggenheim Fellow. In 2000, he was awarded the Exemplar Award from the Animal Behavior Society for major long-term contributions to the field of animal behavior. And in 2009, he was presented with the St. Francis of Assisi Award by the Auckland, which is a New Zealand, SPCA. Mark has published more than 800 scientific and popular, popular essays and 25 books, including, and there are so many, Minding Animals, The Ten Trusts with Jane Goodall, The Emotional Lives of Animals, Animals Matter, Animals at Play, Rules of the Game, Wild Justice, The Moral Lives of Animals, The Animal Manifesto, Six Reasons for Expanding Our Compassion Footprint, Ignoring Nature No More, The Case for Compassionate Conservation, Jasper's Story, Saving Moon Bears, The Encyclopedia of Animal Rights and Animal Welfare, The Encyclopedia of Animal Behavior, and The Encyclopedia of Human-Animal Relationships. And this is only a few. This is not anywhere near what he's accomplished. In 2005, Mark was presented with the Bank One Faculty Community Service Award for the work he has done with children, senior citizens, and prisoners as part of Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots program. And he has two websites that you can write down and check out after the show. The first one is Mark, M-A-R-C, Beckoff, B-E-K-O-F-F.com. And then one with Jane Goodall is ethologicalethics.org, E-T-H-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L-E-T-H-I-C-S.org. So I'm going to note that in the chat room and put it on the play page so you'll be able to check that out after the show. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here on Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? <laughs> I'm great. It's a snowy day out here in Boulder, Colorado. And it's actually quite beautiful. So It's a snowy day here, and it's beautiful, too. <laughs> No no complaints. (laughs) No. I think it's snowing everywhere in the country. I don't think anybody got away with anything this winter. (laughs) No. Yeah, no, I know the people on the East Coast have gotten really hammered. Yeah, but I'm kind of used to it. I'm from New England, and you're in Colorado, so you're used to it, too. And, hey, you know what? It's only, what, 17 days till spring, so yay. (laughs) And it is what is. (laughs) That's right. We can't change it, you know, and it is our summer water, so take it, because then we won't have a drought. (laughs) Anyway, your book, Rewilding Our Hearts, it follows so many other books, as I said, that you have written. What was the catalyst for you writing this particular book? Well, excuse me, the the catalyst for this was that I wanted to, I mean, I've always studied animals and um, non-human animals, and I wanted to factor them into sort of a big picture view of what 
and how people could be, what people could do and how they could become re-enchanted, re- reconnected with nature. And so I wanted to personalize it because I look at rewilding our hearts as being a very personal and a spiritual um, transformation. So, you know, that's what I really wanted to do was just show people how easy it is to connect with nature. And part of the, I mean, part part of the big message in the book is how we all get unwilded. And so rewilding, of course, would simply be undoing the unwilding. You know, we get unwilded in classrooms, the media unwilds us, um, there's just so many ways that we can do better. So, I mean, so the, honestly, that's that's essentially why I wrote the book was to show people how easy it really is to get back to ourselves. And and it is, and especially I like it because all of your books are so animal related, and this one talks to the human animal rather than the non-human animal, but relates so well because animals are such a huge part of everything, but a lot of people don't understand that or know that. They just take it for granted that they're there and, and they're not really a part of their composition when, in fact, everything is connected and we need each other, including the non-human animals. Exactly, and that's why the big message there, and, and I appreciate your pointing that out, um, the big message is that rewilding in, includes our connections with all animals, and when I say all animals, I mean it, non-human and human animals cross culturally, you know, across, you know, you know, male, female, cross gender and ages. And so it's, it's really, um, you know, it's a very personal, I, I mean, I can't think of any other way to say it. It's just, it's a very personal way of, for people to reconnect, become re-enchanted with nature and to show how easy it is. And a lot of it's based on, if you, you know, you use the word energy, the energy we feel, the positive energy we feel when we reconnect with nature. I mean, that's, that's just so much of, you know, what we're learning today is how when we're out in nature, our brains light up, our, our souls light up. I mean, we, we light up. Um, and so that's really part, you know, that's, if you will, that's really the main part of why I wrote this book. To get back to ourselves, our true nature, because, I mean, let's face it, the world is not, oh, you know, I mean, there's so many words. <laughs> <laughs> the world is not a nice place, and yet we have a lot to learn from animals. You know, I watch people around animals. I have two cats. I've always had two cats, and, and I'm allergic to them, but I, I just keep doing it. And, and through my <laughs> observations, I conclude that our interactions with animals and the way that we treat them is really a huge reflection of how we are as not just human beings, but as spiritual beings, because for me, they're little spiritual beings, and I think we have an awful lot to learn from them. Exactly. You know, um, we can learn kindness, compassion, empathy. Mm. We can learn how to live with one another. And, you know, that's not to say that non-human animals don't on occasion you know, argue with one another and fight one another. But, but as I point out in the book, the picture that's emerging is basically that all animals across the board are much more what we call pro-social or positively social. And that, that we, when, when, when we label, you know, humans who are fighting as animals, 
we're really doing animals a disservice because that's not who they are. And, you know, that's where we become unwilded. We have a, um, you know, a real misrepresentation of who other animals are. So that's all part of the rewilding process as well. Yes, and I think the other thing we can learn for me that I see in just animals outside, okay, you know, I have a lot of deer and I have a lot of bear and there's a lot of animals in northwest New Jersey and, and let's face it, they were here first. So when people complain about they're eating all my plants and they're doing all you know this to my yard, I just figure we'll plant the plants they don't eat and learn how to adapt and live in the way that conforms to them so that you're not in their way and they'll be kind to you. And for me, that works. But I learned from the animals there's a forgiveness from them that we can learn too because animals are very forgiving. If I go away, if I have a business trip that takes me out of town for five days and I come back, my cats may ignore me for five or ten hours, but then, you know, immediately after that, they're like, okay, we showed you we were mad and now we're happy again. And that is showing us unconditional love. And people don't have unconditional love because if we did, I mean, there wouldn't be divorce, there wouldn't be child abuse, there wouldn't be anything, you know, because love will be unconditional. Right. And, and what you just pointed out at first about how you interact with your urban animals, that's exactly part of rewilding. Um, you, you appreciate the animals for who they are. You realize that, you know, you, we moved into their space and that we're the ones who have to adjust, not them. And, and I don't mean that facetiously. I, re- I really mean it because then what we come to, you know, that, that, then what we come to see is the fact that animals have a say in the matter. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I lived in the mountains for years and I had cougars and black bears and coyotes and foxes and bobcats right at my door. I mean, literally, I don't mean at my house, I mean at my door. So it was my choice to, to continue living there, you know, and, and it was my choice to just say, okay, you know, I want to live here, so I need to accommodate myself to them. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I had to be careful with, I had to be careful with, you know, the dogs with whom I shared my home. I, I had to be very careful with, um, you know, going out at night. And I had to walk up maybe 50 meters or 50 yards to my car. And I just had to be very careful because there could be animals lurking around. So I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, when I had some problems, and I did. I mean, I ran into these animals. I didn't call wildlife control or somebody you know, right. to tell them to get rid of the animals. So that's part of rewilding. You know, I had a letter from a woman in New York City who planted plants on the rooftop of her apartment. And really, within a course of a year, she seemed to become like a bee expert because bees and various birds were coming to her feeder, uh, to, to her plants and her feeders. So, So once again, you know, that's how easy it is to rewild. You know, that's how, that's how easy it is to come to appreciate the other animals with whom we share um, our world. And it is about sharing. You have to share. It isn't just sharing with people because we think that we are the dominant species here. You know, it's, no. it's about sharing with everything on the planet and knowing that, okay, I live in an area where there's a lot of trucks that come through that say, Camelon. Okay, right there, I, you lost me. <laughs> You're putting chemicals on a lawn with these little signs that say there's chemicals on the lawns. Just for the next two weeks after that, it's okay. I'm thinking that's not true. And the animals that we share this planet with are eating that grass, and now they go and get sick. And yeah. nobody's, 
you know, feeding your children junk. I mean, what we give them, I don't know what's in the food you're giving them or how you're feeding your children. So maybe they are being fed, you know, chemicals. But you really try not to do that. And we should try not to do that with the animals as well. Exactly. So, you know, I tell people, oh, you have a lawn. Well, be very careful. I mean, there's communities I know in California, and I'm sure there are communities elsewhere, where they're very sensitive to uh, pesticides and the use of chemicals. Mm-hmm. Why? Because dogs eat them. And cats, mm-hmm. you know, if they're out in other animals, and they get poisoned and they die or they get very ill. So, so that's why this rewilding notion <coughs> is so, so easy because everything you're talking about involves becoming aware of the other animals with whom we share space and time. And, and, you know, frankly, I always say, if, if you don't want to, then move. <laughs> I mean, you know. That's what I tell people. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way. It's just that when people move into the mountains, like outside of Boulder, for example, they know <clears throat> that there's a lot of wild animals there. So it's, it's, it's no surprise. So, you know, right. when they move. When they move there and they go, oh, my goodness, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, a bear was at my car. Well, yes, the bear was at your car. Um, Or a cougar, you know, came to my door. Yeah. And and, and no one, I mean, I hate to say it, but I don't think anybody moves anywhere these days where they don't know that other animals are lurking. I agree. You know, I I suggested to, to realtors around here that part of what they do in their house descriptions is that they, they say to people, you know, what animals live around a particular home. You know, sometimes they want to do it and sometimes they don't. They don't want to lose a sale. But, mm-hmm. but I really meant that. You know, I really meant that that's what they should be doing, that they should be telling people that different animals live around here and you need to be aware of their presence. And that's all part sure. of the wild. Yeah, animals native yeah. to the area so that you know and you can take care of your family and teach them. When I first moved to this portion of New Jersey, first of all, I was from Massachusetts. We didn't have black bears. New Hampshire does, Vermont does. I don't know how Massachusetts missed out, but we didn't have black bears at all. We had a ton of deer, and the deer never ate my hosta. So when I moved here and put in hosta, everybody said, you know, you're planting a buffet. And I said, no, the deer don't eat it. Well, evidently the New Jersey deer do eat hosta. The Massachusetts deer do not. I did not have bears in Massachusetts. So I went to the state park, Kittatinny State Park, and I took a class on what to do about bears. You know, what do you do when you encounter a bear? Because they're prevalent in the area. And I learned a lot. And in my yard, I built a labyrinth. And as I was in the labyrinth one day and I was backing up to look at something I painted on the center ornament, the, I backed into something that was furry, at like, you know, calf high. And I thought, what is in my labyrinth that's impeding my flow that's furry? And I looked down, and it was a cub. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, I might die. Where's your mother? <laughs> because I didn't do anything but, you know, a cub next to a human. Mom's not going to be happy regardless of how that encounter came about. So no, you don't want to get – the... yeah. No. <laughs> You know, you don't want to get between a mom and her cub. And I thought, oh, my God, why are you here? Now, I clearly walked in the labyrinth and did not see the cub. And the cub must have walked in on me. And who knows? I backed up into it. And I looked down. I saw this cub. It was so cute. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to get killed, I'm going to get killed for a reason. So I petted it. And then I ran in the house. (laughs) And I laughed because I thought, you know, if she's going to get me, at least I have done something, you know. But we have a lot of 
you know, really, you know, I don't want to go for no reason. If you're going to attack me, attack me because I did something. So it's interesting because there are a lot of bears around here. I mean, there's a family of like mom, dad, and three that come through the yard every once in a while. And, and then they do the bear hunting thing. And, you know, people say, well, you can eat the meat. And I just say, well, you know, that's why ShopRite has a, a meat section. You're not supposed to, you ought not to be killing the bears, you know, but whatever. I just don't, I just figure you have to learn about the animals in your area and learn to live with them. And then they won't bother you because you are, you're allowing them to be there. And that's kind of how I look at it. Well, they're also trying, I mean, for the most part, they're trying to avoid you. Mm. I mean, they, they really, it's not that they don't, quote, like you, but, you know, they want to avoid you because they, they also learn from tradition. You know, they'll see other animals be killed. They'll see other animals be harassed by humans. And so just just accommodating yourself as part of the rewilding process, it not only educates you, but it also allows these animals to move. I, I, I had three encounters with cougars. I mean, I, I was literally could have touched them, not on purpose, but they just happened, you know, I backed into, I walked back in, I was walking backwards and almost walked into one. I opened the door of my car one night thinking that this tan animal, um, it was very dark, that was my neighbor's dog. And I was going to tell my neighbor's dog, you know, please go home. And it was a cougar. So you know, I didn't call the wildlife division. I basically said, oh, you know, they're around. And then I had this confrontation. I call it a confrontation at first, but then sort of just a friendly standoff with a baby bear. I met him when I walked out of my front door. I, held my, I was carrying my bike. I saw him. I dropped the bike. I went, oh, my God, ran into the house. The baby bear ran away. And we were about, you know, 20 feet from one another playing hide and seek. Like, who's going to make the first move? So I walked out really slowly, and, and you know, I walked out really slowly. I was carrying my bike. I, I, I knew the bear wasn't going to bother me. And mm-hmm. over the next week, he, he hung around. It turned out that his mom had left him. He was old enough to be on his own, and one of his siblings had been injured. So we just had this game. I'd come out, he would move, and he would watch me from above my house. And, you know, to be honest with you, I felt totally safe. And yeah. I guess, the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I'm, I'm here. Um, right. So, so living with, you know, living with your neighbors, your, you know, living with your, an urban world, wildlife is a good way to rewild. Yeah, I think that, you know, around here people will call the police when they see a bear. And I'll think, well, what's the police going to do? Are they going to arrest the bear and put it in jail? Seriously, you know. And I don't want to see the bear get shot. So, to me, in, in one day, this past spring, I think it was this past spring, uh, 2014, there was a, a little tiny deer that came running out of the woods as I was outside. And it, it st- stopped like three feet in front of me. And I looked at it and said, oh, wow, you're so tiny. Where's your mama? Because they don't usually run from where they're parked because it looks that little like it was still parked before it could go with the, with the herd. And I looked up and there was a bear coming out. So I thought, okay, so I picked up the deer and I bring it in the house. And I'm like, now what do I do? This is stupid. You know, but I didn't want the bear to to do anything to the deer. So I'm in the house for like a half an hour and the deer's outside. Now I have one of my cats yelling at me because I'm holding this deer. It was just, there was mass confusion. (laughs) So I waited with the deer and then finally the bear went away. And about an hour later, I heard this thumping and I knew, oh, that's mama. And I went out with 
the baby in my arms and I said to her, don't get mad at me. I saved your kid. And I'm like walking over to the grass. I put the baby down. I back up. I go in the house and I watch them go away. And the really weird part was they went off to this other, the other side of the property is, is more woods. And the mom went in and the baby deer stopped before it went in. And the mom looked at the baby because the baby turned around and looked at me and she stomped her foot. And the baby looked at me and I said, you have to go with your mother. And that's all I said. And I started to cry. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a yeah. cool encounter. You know, I mean, animals are just so wonderful. And they're so trusting until they can't. They're, they're afraid at first, maybe. But they will be trusting given, you know, if they have a reason. This one knew yeah, that yeah. bear is going to get me. Yeah. And right. so, you know, it's. The deer come around a lot, and they don't. I ask them, please don't eat the stuff in the front. Go out back. And if they're in the front yard, I'll say to them, you know the rules. Are you new here? You got to go out back. And they'll immediately go out back. And my husband's always saying to me, "What are you, Mrs. Doolittle?" <laughs> like, yeah, right. You just got to talk to them. You just talk to them, and they understand. You know, we're sharing here. But I right. find and, it, and you learn some. You know, you not only learn about. You know, part of rewilding is learning about yourself. That's why I call it a personal transformation. So it's, it's learning about how you interact in the world with, once again, other animals, other humans, um, including other humans, and, you know, their homes. So, so that's why it's a big picture view, but that's why also just little things like taking a walk, looking at a tree, helping your neighbor. Um, <clears throat> when I go to Central Park, when I visit my sister who lives in New York City, I watch squirrels, and I had a really interesting interaction once with two little boys and their mom because I was watching the squirrels, and one of them came up and said, what are you doing, mister? And I told them, and, you know, the mom was going, come on, we got to go. They're just squirrels. But within five minutes, I was turning these, you know, two little kids into animal behavior scientists, and mm. it was really fascinating. And, you know, as I left, they said to their mom, oh, God, I, I, I hope we can come back. I really want to watch the squirrels. So so that would be part of, you know, rewilding and spreading the word, if you will, in, in an, ur, you know, in an urban environment. But, but, but I really want your, your listeners to know, because I think of the work you do, that there's what I would call an energetic component to it in the sense that when we do good things for the planet, when we do good things for non-human and anim, human animals, we feel good. And when we feel good, and our, you know, it's like our brains on nature. When we feel good, we really, really tend to do good things much more, more, you know, a wider scope, if you will. So I always say compassion begets compassion. Doing good things begets doing good things because of that internal feeling and the energy we feel from, you know, being positive and being um, kind. And that's very true, and they've actually done studies on, there's like a new field of study that's recently emerged called mind-body genomics, and they they take interesting situations, and they'll say to people, okay, how can you, what can you do to make yourself happier, and not just happier from life, external life events, but things that give you a sense of purpose, and the answer is mind-body work, so it's meditation, it's walking in nature, it's doing sound therapy, it's yoga, it's these things that allow you to quiet your mind, live in gratitude, and have these feelings so that you're rewilding your heart by starting to live in a place from gratitude and seeing things in a different perspective, and it's changing people's immunological profiles, and this testing has been done at University of North Carolina, I think it was at Chapel Hill, and 
you know, it's amazing the different things that people that you can do to, to, to actually help yourself. But in turn, it goes out and helps the whole world, animals, people, and things like that. So the mind body work is, is a huge part of it. And your whole book, it just reminded me of that, that this is just another way for people to get in touch with their own selves and be able to give back. And you, you kind of go through, um, what is it? The eight P's of rewilding. And that I think Um, is what did it most for me. Yeah. Let's go over those. Do you want to go over those? Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they involve being polite, um, meaning being nice to people with whom you disagree. It's okay to disagree. And sometimes you just got to sort of call it a day and go, okay, I agree to disagree with you. I, I, you know, I agree to disagree and I'm going to move on and, you know, work with people, talk with people who are open to change, being persistent, passionate, patient, proactive, um, all involved and positive, you know, all involved basically realizing that, there's a lot to be done, so we need to be patient. I always tell people they don't have to be apologetic for being passionate. Being positive, you know, focusing on what works, not on what doesn't work. And then I actually added two. One was being playful. Um, among the last words from my dear mom before she passed away was, be sure you play a lot, and being present. And that gets back to what you know you're talking about being mindful, for example, mm-hmm. like just being present and, and, you know, picking something that you really are passionate about. And I always say to, you know, kids going for it, just go for it. You know, don't, don't, don't let other people, don't let people talk you out of it. Don't let people tell you, Oh, you're being too idealistic. Just go for it. So those are kind of the P's if you will, or the eight P's of rewilding. And, and go for your dreams. And I love the playful one. That's great because that takes you back. You know, little kids, we observe them and you see them, you know, they're coloring. They don't care about what's going on in the world. They're in the present moment right then and there because they're coloring inside the lines, outside the lines, different colors for different things. They don't care. They don't see. Nobody's wrecked their little heads yet, you know, because <laughs> they're just oh. coloring. <laughs> no, exactly. I talk about, I, I talk in, um, I have a chapter in the book called Rewilding Education, Rewilding the Classroom, mm-hmm. and talk about wild play. And I cash that out by saying, you know, let human youngsters be the animals who they are. You know, let them play. They may get scratched. They may get dirty. But, but that's all part of being a kid, you know. And, and I've had teachers contact me because they were very pleased to read that. But, you know, they, they'll say, oh, my, you know, if – Johnny or Barbara falls and gets a scratch, they risk being sued. I mean, they, re- they, yeah. they, they really do. You know, how can you let my kid play? He may get hurt or she may get hurt. And so I kind of, you know, <laughs> once again, I just say, well, when I grew up, I came home with scratches, but my mother sure. didn't say, oh, my goodness, the school is negligent. We need to go after them. But, but that's yeah. a true fear. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's not something I'm making up that across the country, um, you know, kids are being told that they can't be kids because they may get hurt or it's, or, or it's a waste of time. You know, you need to yeah. spend more time sitting in, in, you know, sitting on your butt in front of a computer under artificial light. <laughs> right. 
learning and learning and learning so that you can make the all by almighty buck and, and you can become part of the litigious society that we've created because it is exactly. a very litigious society. And it's just, it's horrible because you're afraid to do anything and, you know, playgrounds now they're what, six, seven inches full of bark mulch so that people, you know, kids won't get hurt when they fall. And if somebody does fall, it is a lawsuit and you know, or more people beating people up because of what the kids are doing. Can we just let them be children? Nobody allows that. And if they actually went back and looked at a generation and said, okay, let's go back to the last generation and see how much we kind of messed it up by saying you can't be a kid. And then we look at what's going on in the world today, people in the age group that's just a generation, 24, 25 to 35 years old. Why do you think the world's like it is? Because they weren't allowed to be a kid when they were a kid. So now they're venting everything out and getting all their anger out and getting all this energy out. They've got to get rid of it somewhere. But it was boxed up for at least 18 years. That's just hard. That's just really hard. And this is a great world. It needs to be explored and experienced and discovered and, you know, in its own due time. And granted, you know, you want kids to do well in school, but gosh, there's so much pressure on the kids, the chronic stress that the children are getting. You talk about overwhelm, you know, when facing a, a global crisis, the kids today, that's, that's the biggest overwhelm that I see that is a problem in the world is the kids. They are so overwhelmed by parents saying, you have to take ballet, you have to do soccer, you have to do gymnastics, you have to go march in the band, you have to, you know, whatever it is, plus you have to get all A's. Really? Yeah, exactly. And then, and, and while they're doing that, they don't realize that the, the world that, you know, they're leaving them is going to hell in a handbasket really, really fast. And that's why I always say kids of the future, let's just face it, you know, I do a lot of kids events with um, Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots groups. And sometimes I just stand in front of the group and we talk and it's very interactive. And honestly, sometimes I say, or I go to myself, what is the world going to be like for them in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? I mean, you know, hopefully most of them will be alive. And so I always, you know, when I talk to parents or kids, you know, people who have kids, I just say, okay, you don't care about this. You don't care about that. But why have kids if you're, it's a, it's a double cross. You're having the kids, but you're, you're leaving them a world that's just, you're leaving them a world which isn't the world in which you would like to live. And, right. and sometimes, sometimes it causes, you know, it, sometimes it gives them pause. And, and, you know, honestly, that's all you can do. You, you can't do anymore. <laughs> no. And I bet some people get mad. I mean, right out and out mad, <laughs> you know, don't tell me how to raise my kid, you know, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. I see it when people bring their children in and they say, you know, the, my child is really stressed and I don't know why. And when the parents are in the room, the children won't talk. The minute yes. the parents leave and I ask a question and say, is there anything that you want to tell me? This is like Vegas. Whatever you tell me doesn't go outside of this room. I won't tell your parents unless it's something that's going to harm someone else or yourself. And they'll yep. tell me and I'll think, yep, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. It's sad. Kids can't be kids. And the funny part is if you say to somebody, you are allowed to be a kid, how come you won't let this one be a kid? And it's your kid. This is the greatest gift you ever have. Can you treat it kindly? (laughs) You know, and I don't mean to call it it, but you know what I mean. Sure, because I've had... Because I've talked to parents about that, and and one response is they'll say, "Well, the world has changed. The world has changed, but we're we're basically mammals, and we mm-hmm. have not evolved. You know, cultural evolution outstrips biological evolution. So we're basically the same 
beings we were certainly two, three hundred, maybe even ten thousand years ago in terms of our brains and physiology. So I always say to them when they say the world has changed, I you know that we've allowed it to change for the worst. So if you want to get back to you know situation where kids are allowed to enjoy their childhood, then you better start doing it now so that your kids' kids will then mm-hmm. to being kids. Um, but the, the world has changed. Excuse doesn't, it, you know, I mean, you're doing well. I'm doing well. My, my colleagues and peers and people in my age cohort are, are doing very well. Thank you. So growing up and being allowed to be a kid is not a negative thing. No. And talking about the fact that the world has changed. Okay. I get that. And it's changed in so many ways so very quickly. And it's changing even more quickly with every passing day. We need to adapt to it, and that means your children need to adapt to it in a way that they're still allowed to be children, but they can take advantage of technology and do what they need to do for their schoolwork. But the best thing that you can do for them so that they can adapt better is give them the mind-body practice, of which part of is getting out in nature so that they're not stressed. You know, I don't know how many people have said, do you know that you can lose 40% of your IQ, your your IQ can be 40% down from chronic stress? And people look at me and say, oh, that can't be true. And I say, yeah, it really is. It's true because your brain gets into this vicious stress loop. You're doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again. You can't even think of how to get out of it and come up with a better idea. You also Mm -hmm. become pessimistic, you know, all this stuff. And if the kids could learn, you know, a little bit more about nature and how to take care, they actually would do better in other areas. And thankfully, there are some schools that are incorporating that now because they understand it, they believe it, and they're giving the kids, okay, you have to take meditation, we have to go for a walking meditation in nature, all these types of things to bring them back to a grounding place. It's just coming to be, but isn't it good that it is finally? No, absolutely. That's why, you know, I, I, I say to adults, how do you feel, you know, at least most of them, how do you feel when you're outside? I feel great. Yeah. Well, what about your kids? <laughs> and there's a pause and they'll go, that's when they'll go, well, you know, it's different now or, well, you know, it's dangerous. Well, you know, there's people out there who, you know, kidnap kids. Oh, you know, it's dangerous. They may fall. And I'm going, oh, my goodness gracious. I am so I'm personally glad that I did not grow up in that kind of, um, you know, in, in that kind of environment. environment. It would have it yeah. demolished me. I, I never, I never would have unwilded. <laughs> it's so negative. Yeah, it's, it's so totally negative, negative. And they don't see it. They don't see. They see it as it's a protection. It's like no, it's negative. Protect the kids, but don't be negative about it. There's a huge well, difference, it, and I don't think people get that. Right, and I think right, and I know I agree with you, and I think it's because they're so stressed themselves. They they, they just really are. It's I mean, it's, when I talk to some of my friends, and they're wonderful people, and sometimes we'll just I ride my bike excessively. I used to race bikes, and when we go out, you know, I just say to them, "You've got to have a time in your day mm-hmm. when you basically just let your brain go. You just go out and have." fun, not careless, not reckless, not irresponsible, but forget about the paper you have to write, forget about, you know, the errands you have to run, just go out and enjoy yourself for however many, you know, however many minutes you can. And the funny part is that paper they have to write, when they do that, they'll come back and they'll write it right away. Yes. I always tell people that because I, because I, I, I write a lot and I, 
I mean, I, work, I always say I work hard, I play hard, and I rest mm-hmm. hard. But you're right. I mean, so sometimes, sometimes over the course of a week, say, or maybe two weeks, I'll just kind of keep track of what I do and maybe keep track of how much I ride my bike or hike or something like that. And you want to know, maybe from day to day it differs a bit, but over the, a week or two, I don't get any more done if I sort of don't, don't indulge, if you will, in the things that I like to do and the things that make me feel good. I, I really don't. So, and when you do get those things done, you get them done probably faster and you probably enjoy it more because you're doing a better job because you're more clearly thinking. Absolutely. There's absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's some. It just just last week. It was really funny. I was telling somebody. Um, <clears throat> I was working on a paper. I was having a really hard time putting stuff together. And when I have that kind of thing, or when I have looming deadlines, that's when I'm most likely to just go out and do a long bike ride. I swear mm-hmm. I wasn't out of my house for 15 minutes when an idea came to me. I called my, you know, I called my own number and I got my voicemail and I dictated for two minutes. And in all honesty, that became the basis of a chapter for a book. And, and while I was sitting at the computer, it wasn't like I was sitting at my computer lamenting that I wasn't out. It was more I was sitting there and I was going, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm out of here. And really, it was yeah. the change in scenery. All of a sudden, it was sunny. It was warm. I saw some birds. My whole brain completely changed gears, and the and the paragraph, if you will, that I couldn't write just came to me just lucidly. Instantly, probably, because you were able to clear and everything was good. And we have proof of this because you've written over 800. I mean, you know, I thought it was funny when you said, I write a lot. Yeah, you have 800 scientific and popular essays and 25 books. I would say that, you you know, writing is something you do. <laughs> yeah, I love to do it, but I don't do it. But like I said, I, I don't do it under pressure, and I'm not – I can work under pressure, but – but I, I try to – I guess the word also as part of rewilding, and it's come up a lot in discussions, is balance. So like I said, yeah. I work hard, I play hard, and I rest hard. And people laugh at me because I write in the book that I'm kind of addicted to watching tennis matches and bike races because I've been competitive in both sports. And it's I walk away from my brain. My friend Bruce Gottlieb, who's a psychologist – would describe it that way. At some point, I just go, okay, I'm done either for the day, for the hour, for the next half hour. And what I do is I just step away from my desk. I step away from books. I step away from email, phone, everything. And mm-hmm. I just go enjoy myself. And then I come back totally rekindled because you can't, you can't run your car on empty and you can't run your body and your mind and your heart and your soul and your spirit on empty. You just can't do it. No, and you're absolutely right. And it's so true because people have gotten used to the fact that where's T? She was just here. And the response is usually, I think she's grounding. And it's like, what does that mean? And then I walk back in and I'm happy. And, you know, I had to things, I'll just get up and go. Okay. I've had enough. That's it. I've learned that when I start to get to that overwhelmed place, I could easily go there and just put myself and just work and work and work and never take a break. But I've learned the first moment you feel like you're in overwhelm, check and see what you need to finish so that you can come back at a starting point and then get out. 
And, yeah, and that's, that's exactly what, what wild animals do, you know, because they, they got a tough out there. They have to get food. They have to protect territory. They may have to protect themselves from being food. And so, so, they, so they have the situation where they have to rekindle. You know, they, they have to fill up, you know, if you will, their tank with gas. So the way they do it is they rest very hard. And um, all the field work that's been done on resting patterns in uh, mammals, for example, most of them rest 90% of the day. And when you tell that to people who don't study animals, they go, oh, no, they're always active. No, no, no. If they were always active, then they'd be really in trouble when they had to run away from somebody or something or another animal or get food. So, so there you go, you know, that we can learn so much from these animals. And once again, that knowledge would be part of rewilding. And it also helps to, for people to see that when you do the going outside and taking it a little bit easy and maybe taking a nap, you're helping your entire body be healthy. You don't get sick as often. You don't. You don't. No, you don't, because I was thinking about this just recently because um, I'm kind of lucky. I don't get sick, and I'm a mm-hmm. good sleeper. But but I was really not thinking about it only with respect to my own life, but I was thinking about it in general once again is when you're at ease and you've allowed yourself to re-energize, if you will, no matter how you choose. I mean, I always say, you know, there's not one right way to re-energize. There's not one right individual way to meditate or relax. Right. When you allow yourself that time, <clears throat> then then you feel better. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but to me it's such a no-brainer. But part of the reason I wrote the book was to show people once again how nice it is to just get out, put everything away, don't worry about this list or that list, and then come back to it and how easy something that was how easy it is to do something that was kind of arduous and 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 straining yourself and and it comes down to energy balance and it comes down to having a balanced you know ba- balancing your life it it just does yep. i mean i you know i mean if if people want to argue about that that's fine but i've got better things to do <laughs> Yeah, it's prioritizing, too. Do you put you first or do you put everything else first? I wanted to go for oh, – this is quite a few years ago. I wanted to go for a walk, and I called a friend and said, you want to go for a walk? And she said, well, no, I have to clean my house. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a priority. And she said, no, yeah, really, it is. I said, oh, you know what? And she said, why? I said, there's going to be more dust tomorrow. Why don't you come for a walk today and just clean it all up tomorrow? Because it's really yep. not going to like – it's not like snow. You're not going to get two feet of it. And she laughed, and we went for a walk. But people get so – you know, I'm disciplined, but I'm disciplined in that I put the breaks into my day. I'm going to go do my Bowflex in the morning. I'm going for a walk in the afternoon. I'm going for a walk in the morning. I'll do my Bowflex in the afternoon. I'm going to yoga. Whatever it is, it's in there, and I work my schedule and my clients and my patients around that because I have no, exactly. to. And that's and that and what, you, what you're really talking about is balance. You, you're yeah. going to be balanced. I mean, you can't go in and see your clients. You can't go in to see a patient if you yourself are, um, you know, if you yourself are whacked out, <laughs> I yeah. can't think of and a I know better way to I put am. it. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't do it, and therefore it should be. I think, I think part of it, and that's, like I said, one of the reasons I wrote the book was to just explain to people and show them how easy it really is to do all these things. And that, yes, I'm busy, you're busy, everyone's busy, we've got lots to do. 
But once again, you know, if you want to just look at what you get done over the course of time, and not don't mean like in a given day. Sure, if I go out on a five-hour bike ride, I'm going to write less that day. And I won't do it if I've got something, you know, really urgent to do. But over the course of that week, I, or two weeks, I'm not going to get less done. And in fact, I'm going to get more done. But, yeah. but, you know, it's hard to convince people of that because we basically, at least our society has pretty much evolved into one of these nine to five societies. You know, people used to ask me if I worked when I was at the university because I had the luxury, like you do, of having a flexible schedule. So I get up at mm-hmm. four in the morning and I'll work till nine. And at nine o'clock, I am, I am fried, if you will, mentally. Mm-hmm. So. So I go out for a bike ride for two hours, and people used to say, don't you work? Don't you do this? Don't you have a job? And, and, and I finally got to the point where I'd say, oh, no, no, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a coupon clipper, and I, I have a lot of money. But because, <laughs> because people are so, so accustomed to that, you know, so I always say to people, you know, just do what feels right. I mean, I, I know that sounds so cliche-ish, and, you know, it's definitely boulder-ish. <laughs> Do what, you, do what feels right. But when you do what feels right and you take care of yourself first, you can take care of others. And I, and I don't mean taking care of yourself first in an egocentric way. It's just take care of yourself, have the energy and the spirit yep. and the time to do stuff for others, other animals, other people, their homes, whatever it is. I mean, I volunteer. I, I've taught a course at the Boulder County Jail now going on almost 15 years, and I do a lot of volunteering, and people go, well, if you've got time to do that, why don't you do more? And I'm going, because I don't want to do more, number one. And number two, when I go volunteer, and, and you know, the, you probably know better than I do, but there have been studies showing that volunteering can get people out of a funk really, really well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of studies. There's a whole organization here that we go into schools and we teach the kids from you know, eighth grade up, how to volunteer, how to give back. Giving back is so important. It makes you feel good, and it does something for the community. You help other people. It shows compassion and gratitude. It brings in so many of these feelings, appreciation, care, all of that. And the funny part is some of the people, I volunteer a lot as well, and some of the people, it's like a competition. I had to do this, 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 and this. I don't have time to do some of the stuff that you do. Right, you like exactly. going out for a walk, you know. I mean, the other I'm thing. busy all the time. And, it, and I say to them, Instead of competing with me, and, and I'm not in a competition with you, I'm just trying to live my life on the lawn for the ride, why don't you compete with yourself and see if you can force yourself to take a little bit of a break? It's the oxygen mask thing. You know, put it on you first or you can't help anybody else. Yep. When people say to me, you know, if I ask them, do you want to do something or can you help me along, and they go, oh, I'm just too busy, I, I always say, don't play the busy card with me. I mean, it, <laughs> it doesn't get anywhere with me, not because I'm the busiest person in the world, but it doesn't get anywhere with me because I know that if they stop to smell the roses, which, of course, is part of rewilding, and they went and helped, you know, gave aid to people in need or people who need something, they're going to feel better about themselves and they can stop complaining about how much they do. It's just, you know... Part of, you know, I think we're talking, you know, around, but really, you know, trying to capsule this is we, the way I say it in the book is we unwild because of busyness. We unwild because the world, you know, or we, the world is, or we perceive the world to be, 
demanding um, so much of us. But, but you know, you've got to decide on your own about that. I mean, that's what I tell people. I mean, we have to work with kids. We have to set, you know, set good examples for kids. But, but the fact of the matter is we really just do this on our own. We, we, we decide what, what we want to do, what makes us feel good, and then we go from there. And, and I think book, in the, yeah. Your book, Rewilding Our Hearts, the, the tagline is Building Pathways of Compassion and Coexistence, does it in such a beautiful way. There's so much in here that people can read and really just attempt to try something. You know, just add one little thing into your life, and that alone, I believe, makes a huge difference and will only propagate more. Well, thank you. You know, because that's uh, – I've been writing after I wrote the book, you know, because books are always just works in progress. I've been talking about rewilding as what uh, we call a meme. We have – you know, we have our genes that pass on our genetic material, and memes are ideas that spread across the world – by example, for for example, so if I do something and like as a result of this conversation, I would hope that some of your listeners learn something and they'll do not only will they do something to make their lives better, but they'll share and what they mm-hmm. share with a friend. You know, it's like the game of telephone. You just keep playing and playing and playing. And it came to me that really one of the solutions for a lot of what's happening in the world and to add a very global perspective would be for rewilding to become a meme. And so that's why I love, I love talking with people who like you, who do very different things, um, you know, from what I do, but we all share that commitment to try to make the world a better place and try to make people happier, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that's our job. You know, if you find joy, for yourself, you automatically give joy to others. And if you're giving joy to others, you are automatically finding joy for yourself. It's when you lose exactly. that somewhere. And, and it's not egocentric. People go, oh, well, no. what do you mean this be first? No, what I'm saying me first no. means it's me first so I get enough energy so that I can then be more extroverted and help other people. So, you know, once again, I always say, stop playing these stupid games with me. It's, I'm not mm-hmm. saying me first and you don't count. I'm saying me first because you count. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe we're almost at the top of the hour, Mark. But before we go, would you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, Rewilding Our Hearts? Yep. I mean, the book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And the best place to find out about me, because I go there sometimes, is at markbeckoff.com, M-A-R-C-B-E-K-O-F-F.com. And you'll You'll find more than you probably care to know, but but that's where you can find out about me. <laughs> now, there's a blog. There's a lot of information there. It's a plethora of information that's really, really helpful. So thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your being here oh. with us. If you could just hold on a couple of minutes, I'll um, I'll talk to you as soon as I Yeah, I was going to say one more outdoor. thing if I have time. Yes. That I write regularly for Psychology Today and the Huffington Post. So if you just Mm -hmm. do Mark Beckoff Psychology Today or Mark Beckoff Huffington Post, you'll see all my essays. That's how I knew about you from Psychology Today. Okay, yeah, so that that would be another good way to see what I'm writing. And you can always comment, too. That's what I always invite listeners and readers. Comment. If you like something I said, great. If you don't like something I said or you have a question, comment. And and people respond. That's what I love about it. You know, don't be afraid to put ideas out. You know, it's okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> thank you so much. Uh, so my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, yes. So, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show that you just heard to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. When I remember how